all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Good morning, and thanks for joining me here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today is going to be kind of part two of a show that we started several weeks ago when we dove into macronutrients. So we had a show where we looked at kind of the big three macronutrient groups, carbohydrates, fats, and protein. Um, And today we're going to dive into the micronutrient part of that. So one that is probably a little bit less understood or at least less talked about in terms of our daily nutrition and the things that we're putting in our body. So if you have a question or a comment for us, you can always email us fit at mpbonline.org. Now, if you didn't catch that first show that we had, you can uh, go wherever you get podcasts and search for Southern Remedy, and you should be able to pull up our past shows there and find uh, find the one that we did on macronutrients. As always, if you have any questions kind of lingering from that show about, uh, about carbs or fats or protein, I'm happy to um, answer those for you today as well or listen to your comments. So what do I mean by a micronutrient? Well, we that's a kind of a fancier word for what we just call vitamins and minerals. So when, when you see the word micronutrient, we're by and large talking about things like vitamins uh, and minerals. And they are crucial to our overall health. They help um, with things like bone growth and development, muscle function, and how the muscles, um, not only muscles grow, but how the muscle fibers fire, um, how our heart beats, how our brain functions, uh, you know, just cellular function in general. So they're all very important um, pieces to our overall health and wellness, as well as disease prevention. Um, The other kind of thing about micronutrients is they're usually not really produced in the body, they are, uh, we get them from our food uh, the or supplements. The, the caveat to that is vitamin D. We do produce um, vitamin D in response to sunlight, so that one um, can be made. Um, but uh, we'll talk about vitamin D a little, little further on into the show. There are a couple of terms that I think it's important for us to talk about when we start to think about vitamins and minerals because it's what you see on packages and labels are confusing and packages are confusing and so understanding a little bit about what some of these things mean um, is important so the first we'll kind of start with is 
uh, if something says enriched or fortified, what that means, right? And so uh, enriched usually means that uh, we are add and not me, but manufacturers are adding nutrients back to the product that was lost in processing. So um, probably the easiest one to think about with that is bread, right? So when, when, when wheat is harvested, you can, of course, you know, grind that and, and make whole wheat products. Um, but our white bread products, a lot of those have had um, kind of the, the capsule around the wheat that has a lot of the nutrients like iron in them, fiber, that kind of stuff, um, stripped away um, during the processing part. And you'll often see kind of that first word uh, in these kind of white bread products. It'll say enriched flour. And so that means some of those nutrients that were lost during the, the processing of this product have been added. Uh, added back uh, during the processing process to increase the micronutrient content of them. And so usually we see B vitamins and iron as kind of enriched things added back to products. Fortified is a little bit different. Fortified is where nutrients are added during the process that were not there to begin with. Right, so a product that traditionally would not have um, this micronutrient in it uh, has been added uh, in in the process. Or um, you can also have where there may have been some of that in, uh, micronutrient in the product, but but they have added much more than what would normally occur in that. And probably the one that is least thought about in terms of being fortified, but it is, is milk, right? So vitamin D, milk is fortified with vitamin D. Uh, dairy milk or any of the plant milks do not come with naturally occurring vitamin D in them. That is a fortified um, uh, process where that vitamin D is added into it. And then there are a couple of abbreviations that hang around on labels that can get kind of... Um, kind of confusing when you're looking at them. There's things like RDA, uh, EAR, AI, all of those different kinds of things. And essentially what they're they're looking at is uh, trying to recommend some type of uh, intake of a particular uh, nutrient. So a lot of times what you'll see on the uh, label is the RDA or the recommended daily allowance. And what that where that number comes from is kind of the the average daily level that is sufficient to meet the needs of like 97 to 98% of healthy individuals. Okay, So not individuals that may have a particular disease process, but just a healthy individual. Um, adequate intake or AI is often used when there's not enough um, evidence to, to generate a recommended daily allowance. And so sometimes we'll see that in recommendations of things for infants. You'll see that as AI, and it's what is just uh, assumed to be um, adequate. And then there's the uh, estimated average requirement, which is a little bit more lenient in terms of how much it is. It's um, the number that uh, meets requirements for about 50% of healthy individuals. So those are just some different numbers that you may see thrown out there. But the recommended daily allowance is the one that you'll normally see um, presented on food labels, and it's the one that should meet around 97 to 98% of the needs of your average healthy individual. Now, those RDAs may vary 
based on age, right? The the recommended daily allowance for something in childhood uh, is likely to be different for um, adults. And it may also vary um, uh, in terms of whether you're pregnant or whether you're um, uh, female, male, those different kinds of things, depending on um, whether you're menstruating and all different kinds of things there. So, um, but it's a good number to kind of keep in the back of your mind because it's often presented as a percentage on um, those labels. And we'll say this meets, you know, 20% of your recommended daily allowance of this particular um, micronutrient. So now that we got all that kind of out of the way, um, we're going to talk about which nutrients or micronutrients we're going to be talking about today. And when you um, when you look at all of the ones that are out there, there are what we call nutrients of concern in the American diet. And usually when you say the word nutrient of concern, it means an underconsumption of that particular nutrient that we don't um, in general, get enough of that. And so we are concerned about it and want to intentionally make sure that we are getting those things. Our nutrients of concern in the American diet are calcium, vitamin D, potassium, and then fiber. And so fiber kind of falls back into that, um, you know, in the in the carbohydrate um, starch realm. We talked about fiber when we talked about macronutrients. But if you have any questions about fiber, I'm happy to talk about those um, today as well. But I also want to make sure that when we talk about nutrients of concern, we don't um, skip over the ones that we overconsume. So there are micronutrients um, that we and nutrients in general that we tend to overconsume. Um, from a, a macronutrient standpoint, uh, saturated fat is one of those things that we overconsume, and we've talked about saturated fat on the show a fair amount. Um, but we can talk about it today some more as well. Um, but from a um, you know a vitamin, mineral, electrolyte standpoint, sodium is also a um, nutrient that we over um, consume. So we have a little bit too much of that, and not enough of things like calcium, vitamin D, and potassium. And so that's what we'll spend some time with today is kind of um, digging into those particular nutrients of concern and how we can eat and take in less of the ones that we overconsume and take in more or make sure that we're intentionally focusing on foods that um, that have those nutrients of concern that we tend to under consume. So I think we're going to start with talking about sodium and potassium and how those relate um, in particular to heart health. They're very important um, nutrients for our, us to discuss. And again, sodium is one that we tend to overconsume, whereas potassium is one that uh, we tend to underconsume. Um, sodium is probably uh, a term that most folks are familiar with, especially if you have high blood pressure type issues, because uh, you've probably been told by your healthcare provider to work on your salt intake and to work on lowering that salt intake. And that, that's one of the reasons. Um, but we also, unless there's a, a contraindication to it, and we'll talk about that as well, we also talk about ways to add potassium because that is beneficial for heart health and for blood pressure health as well. Uh, there are lots of different micronutrients out there and we certainly won't be able to cover them all today but we are going to be hitting on um, what we call nutrients of concern and those micronutrients that we either get too much of in our uh, daily diet or maybe not enough of and the first pairing that we're going to start with is sodium and potassium and so sodium is one of those uh, nutrients that we tend to over consume 
and potassium is one that we underconsume. And so let's start with sodium. Um, again, you've probably heard to limit your salt intake or work on your sodium intake if you have heart disease or high blood pressure. And I um, see a lot of folks that will come to see me and they'll say, well, um, I have a no sodium diet. And I want to make sure that we're talking about the right thing and we're using some of the right words because what we're probably meaning there is you've got a no or a low sodium added diet because there's, we got to have some sodium, okay? Sodium helps um, with uh, blood volume, like the amount of fluid that we have in our blood vessels, which is important. If we don't have enough um, fluid in our blood vessels, we can't push blood around to our body and can't get it to our brain and we pass out and all those different kinds of things but sodium um, in its kind of relationship with water and how it keeps uh, keeps us with enough vascular volume um, it can also do damage to our brain if we have uh, too low of a sodium like a blood sodium level um, which can cause um, seizures and those different types of things. But our body works really, really hard um, to to maintain sodium balances, and that's supported by a well-balanced diet, right? So there is sodium in, in lots of things. I mean, fruits and vegetables have sodium in them. Um, they are considered low in sodium because their amount is very low, but there is still sodium in foods. So uh, usually when we're talking about watching your sodium intake or reducing your sodium intake we're talking about added um, sodium that comes in in products and that can come in a variety of ways right it can come um, from a salt shaker right um, it can come from a packaged product take out those kind you know fast food those kinds of things are usually have a fair amount of added um, added sodium to them. Of course, table uh, table salt is nothing but you know sodium chloride there. So anytime we're sprinkling it on our food or cooking with it, that is added salt. Um, but I don't want us to necessarily be afraid of seasoning our food. Food has to taste good or nobody eats it, right? I see a lot of um, you know posts on social media of just really sad pictures of people surrounded by healthy food and they talk about how bad it tastes and the that all all boils down to the fact that if it doesn't taste good, it's probably not going to be something that you stick with for a lifetime because you food is a pleasurable thing. It tastes good. It's often part of our social events and social structure and has a whole lot of memories and meaning and significance wrapped around it. And so when we um, you know, kind of just say, well, I'm going to go on this, uh, you know, completely no added salt diet, or I'm not going to season my food. And I'm, and I'm eating this kind of bland food. We feel deprived and we as humans don't like that. And we tend to rebound over into some things that we shouldn't be consuming. So we want to try and be as realistic as possible when we're working on limiting our added sodium. And that largely comes from packaged products, about 75 to 80% of that added uh, sodium in our diet comes from um, a package. So thinking about things that we would normally think of as salty, right? Like um, sandwich meat, deli meat, those kinds of things, uh, pickles, um, potato chips, popcorn, um, those kinds of things that we would go, oh, those are salty snacks or salty foods. But then also some of the packaged items that may kind of have some hidden sodium in them. Um, things like um, soup, while we might not consider it to be super salty tasting, it usually has a fair amount of sodium in it. Um, frozen meals as well have a good chunk of 
of sodium. Uh, and then uh, your your baked goods, like bread. Um, bread has a good amount of sodium in it as well. Salt is usually added um, during the, the leavening process of that. Um, so you can actually look up something called the Salty Six, and it'll show you the, the top six salty you know, sources of added sodium um, from different food products in your diet. And so it doesn't mean no bread. It doesn't mean you know, no chips or no fast food, those kinds of things. It's all about balance and how we, um, you know, where we can trim things and where, where we can remove things and still have flavor. Um, so one of my favorite ways to do that is to think about the seasonings that I'm starting with. And we actually have a new display in clinic that we set up that is um, uh, how you season your food without um, adding a lot of sodium or a lot of prepackaged mixes. And so some of my favorites are onions and garlic. That is a wonderful way to get lots of flavor on board, um, especially if you let them start to kind of cook down and get kind of caramelized. All their um, the sweetness comes out in those, and it really adds a good base uh, layer of flavor to things. Um, my next favorite is like pepper and chili. Uh, I really like chilies, like you know jalapenos or um, cayennes or any of those kinds of things. If you like spice, if you don't, that's okay too. Um, but chili powders and those types of things add another kind of good layer of flavor underneath things. Uh, and then your herbs. So my favorite are thyme, rosemary and basil. Those are my favorite herbs that I grow. I always have those um, growing in my garden. And my garden is sad, guys. I haven't been pay- paying as much attention to it as I need to, but my herbs are still growing growing great out there. And I add those almost every day to the things I'm cooking to add, again, some um, very low sodium ways to flavor things. And then citrus is another thing to, to not count out in terms of adding, adding flavorings to your um, to your to your meals, um, a lot of times uh, when you're eating something and, and you go, man, this is good. I just don't know what you know what's making it so good. It may be a little squeeze of some type of acid on it, whether that be lemon or lime or orange, um, a little drizzle of balsamic vinegar or um, apple cider vinegar or something like that. Um, our taste buds are looking for things that are salty, that are sweet, that are bitter, that you know that are acidic, and it and um, it likes to kind of have that balance when we're eating things. So citrus is a great way to kind of perk up. Um, a dish in particular, um, things like veggies. I squeeze lime over my my black beans and rice um, very, very frequently. It really adds a little extra layer um, in there. And then don't forget about the the zest of those citrus fruits as well. Those are great ways to add flavors to your sauces and things that you may be doing. Um, When you are zesting, of course, they make fancy zesters that help you get that zest off of there because what you're trying to get is just the little outer part. That's where the kind of essential oils of the citrus are and not that white skin underneath because that tends to be a little bit bitter Uh, but if you don't have a zester or a microplane or any of those kinds of things you can usually just take a a good sharp knife which all your your cooking knives should be well sharpened and get out that little that little outside piece of skin that we're talking about and then just finely chop it up and that works just as well um, to get you some good citrus flavor um, into your foods there. Um, so uh, seasoning blends are often another really good um, way to go. A lot of us have uh, Taco Tuesday or some other kind of iteration of that where we start with uh, maybe a taco seasoning packet 
And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but they do uh, have a fair amount of sodium in it. So if you're trying to work on your sodium uh, and sodium reduction, you might consider switching to a lower sodium variety of that, which they do make, or making up your own. Um, and I usually just go to the dollar store and buy the seasonings there. I buy chili powder, garlic powder, onion powder, um, a little bit of salt, black pepper. Um, I'll put a little bit of um, paprika in mine as well. And I can get those spices for about a dollar. And then I make up a huge mason jar full of seasoning. Um, and then just put one to two tablespoons of that in. And so I, I do those for lots of different things. I have kind of my Tex-Mex one. And I have a, um, one I call Mediterranean, which I use for a lot of my, my um, maybe Greek-inspired type recipes. Um, and then I have an Italian one that I'll use for um, pizza sauce or spaghetti sauce, those kinds of things. Um, and again, if you look at what I mix up and, um, you know, the recipes that I have for those, they do have some salt in them, but they are drastically less salt than what you would get in a prepackaged packaged mix. Um, but if you don't feel like doing that and you want to start with um, a, a, you know, a, a pre-purchased package mix, that's okay too. Um, think about ways you can trim out sodium in other ways. So if you're using a canned bean or a canned tomato in that recipe, maybe you opt for the low sodium varieties of those. Or if it's something that can be drained and rinsed that you that you do that, that you drain those things well and you give them a really good rinse until that liquid runs clear off of those. That reduces not all, um, but about a quarter or so of the sodium content of those particular things. So the flip of that is how do we increase potassium, right? And so you always want to talk to your healthcare provider as well if you have any kind of kidney disease, things like that. But uh, our kidneys is the kind of one of the main ways that we excrete potassium. So if you have, you know, renal insufficiency, chronic kidney disease, those kinds of things, you may be on a low potassium diet, and that's okay too. Um, but uh, you're kind of general um, healthy adult that's looking for ways to increase potassium. That's in your fruits and vegetables, right? That's where a big chunk of potassium comes in. And in particular, potassium helps with blood pressure lowering or at least kind of blunting the effect of the high salt intake. So um, making sure that we have potassium on board is another good option. And so fruits and vegetables are, are a great um, source of that. Uh, and also, fruits and vegetables are naturally low in sodium. So it's almost like it's a perfect little food there. Um, and it can be. Um, you got to make sure that you like it, though. I see a lot of folks that come in to see me and they're like, well, I'm eating X, Y, and Z every day. And I'll say, oh, well, you know, tell me, tell me about that. And they'll be like, well, I read that it was a good food for whatever condition they're wanting to treat. And while that may be what the science says, if you don't like it, right, and it's not something that you enjoy, just adding it to your diet is probably not going to get us the health benefits that we want because you're forcing yourself to eat it. And you're having calories that you might want to spend on something that you, you do enjoy. So uh, I usually recommend that people make a, make a couple of lists when we're talking about fruits and vegetables, right? Make a list of things that you know you enjoy right like these are your jam you love these fruits and vegetables and usually even in really picky eaters there's going to be at least one or two fruit or vegetables that they really enjoy and really like um, make a list of the ones that you hard stop know you do not like right you have tried them 
multiple ways. That is kind of my other um, caveat for thinking you don't like a particular um, food is have you tried it different ways, raw versus cooked, you know, those types of things. For me, that's broccoli. I cannot stand cooked broccoli, um, but I really enjoy raw broccoli, right? Um, And then there are the ones that you, I mean, you know, you don't like them regardless of how you cook them, right? For me, that is a beet. I have tried a beet every single way you could possibly have a beet uh, and I just do not enjoy it and so I have I have added it to my list um, it only contains uh, beets rutabagas and regular mango I do not like any of those three things and I have tried them multiple multiple ways um, so once you have that list kind of on board then you can start to think about how you incorporate these into your diet without wasting money because that's often what I hear in terms of fruits and vegetables is I buy a bunch and then they all go bad. So buy things that you know you're going to enjoy and that you know you're going to consume and plan to use those up. And so every week, uh, pick one or two off of those things that you know you enjoy and try to have at least one serving of fruit and one serving of vegetables a day. Um, And then when you start to feel a little bit more adventurous uh, and as finances allow, maybe you pull in one of those that you're not sure if you like it or not and try it in a different way. And we do have a caller on the line that I'm going to go over to. We're going to go to Mobile and say good morning to Mikey. Hello. How can I help you today? Oh, thank you so much. I'll try to talk fast, but not too fast um, (laughs) because I really, I really enjoy communicating with you and I really enjoy what you communicate to me. Wonderful. Um, um, okay, first of all, let me start out with my failure. Okay. Um, but there, there was a reason. There was a reason for it, Doc. <laughs> um, my rosemary plant died. Oh. Now, uh, yeah, you know, but I mean, I had 12 weeks of other complications that we don't even need to go into right now. So I could not take as much care of it as I usually do. But my oregano is still doing great. Mm-hmm. And I got some new baby basils that, uh, uh, that someone gifted me the other day, which, you know, so... Um, you know that everybody try it just give it a try oh, if yeah. it dies you know you can do it again right you know it's um uh, okay uh my uh okay my success has been um citrus vinegar hmm. um but made with a, a citrus that you have not yet mentioned okay if, if i may satsumas ah oh, yes yeah, satsumas because satsumas are particularly Look, especially if you, you know, if you, well, if you're lazy, okay, uh, because they don't have as much of the pith, mm-hmm. pH, you know, that you were talking mm-hmm. about as far as the wine. You don't have to scrape them and do all that stuff. I started it as an experiment in um, uh, just taking the, the peelings off of the ones that were being eaten mm-hmm. by my family and dropping them in some white vinegar in a big old jar. I didn't even pour the vinegar out. I just, you know, used mm-hmm. enough of it to, for cleaning stuff and then threw that stuff in. And it, it is. It's a fabulous cleaner. But I, once I discovered that, it, you know, if you like sardines, now not everybody does, or some other kinds of fish or other kinds of things, it's, it's so delicious. I hate to use it as a cleaner anymore. <laughs> well, I bet it. I bet it does work well as a cleaner because white vinegar works great, you know, to to clean things. But it often has not a you know super great smell to it. So adding that citrus in there probably helps cut some of that. But I could also see how it could be um, could complement some things. You can make salad dressing that kind of stuff um, with some of those. So that is a great uh, a great tip. I'm going to have to get in the kitchen and experiment. 
sardines because I've tried it on other kinds of fish. Uh-huh. But the sardine thing, you know, where the sardines, you know, I love sardines eating them, but this, the aroma, shall yeah. we say, is not always, you know, one of my best preferences. Um, now, uh, uh, the only other thing I got now, but here's my question. Okay. Uh, uh, I heard uh, from a, a very reliable chef, um, a broadcasting show, that when it comes to ramen noodles and salt, salt content is what I'm interested in mm-hmm. about finding out here now, that you can make ramen noodles out of any kind of pasta as long as you add baking soda to the cooking water. Hmm. Can you enlighten me? Well, that one I don't I don't know. Um, I've not seen that one before. I'll have to do a little bit of research on that. You're right that that, that uh, ramen type dishes do tend to have a fair amount of, of sodium in them. Um, you can. But, but, but that, is that because of the, the noodles, or is that because it's of usually the, the broth? The, yeah, the the packet thing. Yeah, it's usually the broth um, that it that it comes in, and so of course there's the you know the. Um, the you know five for a dollar packets of, of ramen that you can get at the store, and that's a usually a mainstay and staple for a lot of um, a lot of students and a lot of college students. Um, but that the, the package, um, the the seasoning pack tends to have a fair amount of sodium in it. Um, so you can always you know you just use less of that packet and then add some of these other things that we talked about that that can add flavor and spice and those kinds of things to it. Or if you're feeling super adventurous, you know, make your own. Um, stock, which is uh, not as hard as it sounds um, to do, well, I, and add some of those herbs and, and seasonings in there. May I say, mm-hmm. please, um, uh, I'm interested in um, trying the baking soda thing. Um, I have been unable to do that yeah. here so far. Um, uh, they, you know, and I'm not sure how much it's going to take. And, and if right. I find out, I'll get back to you yeah. on it. Because the the noodles are the, are my favorite part, and mm-hmm. I've always taken the because some of the things that are in the packets. I mean, I don't mean to be a snob, but I don't eat some of the things that yeah. come in the packets, and uh, so I've always. But I have used those as salt and, and you know as in other dishes, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, or over other things. But uh, and it seemed to me that that's where the heavy sodium. You know, warning, warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah. you know, I actually, when I'm making, um, you know, more kind of Asian noodle dishes, those or any really kind of Asian stir-fry sauce, I use white miso um, in that. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, a fermented product, so I get a little bit of, um, you know, good gut bacteria, good bacteria from my gut. It also adds that salty flavor, but tends to have a little bit less of an impact on blood pressure um, with that. Okay. Miso it is. Thank you so much as usual, Doc. (laughs) Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you so much for giving us a call. All right. Uh, The next kind of uh, nutrient that I want to talk about in in the nutrient of concern is um, vitamin D. And it's probably the one that has the most... polarized feelings about uh, in terms of supplementation and and taking those. It's probably also one of the most frequently utilized um, uh, uh, dietary supplement. Um, But what like, what is vitamin D? Why do we need it? And we tend to think about it in terms of bone health, and that's absolutely um, appropriate. But what um, what it's doing is helping with calcium and phosphorus regulation, um, keeping those um, in check. And that, in turn, helps to um, reinforce bone mineralization or keeping uh, the majority of the calcium where it's supposed to be, which is in our bones. Um, it can also uh, have some impacts on inflammation and your immune system. Um, those types of things. So um, there's, you can, I'm not telling you to, but if you Google vitamin D, you will find a ton of um, 
kind of research articles that that are up and coming and different studies that are being done on yes we need more vitamin d no we don't need as much vitamin d those types of things but um in general um, having an adequate amount of vitamin D is important for helping to maintain um, maintain that bone health and really to maintain your calcium um, calcium balance. So uh, when we talk about vitamin D, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that um, milk is fortified with vitamin D, right? It's not naturally occurring. Um, but there are some kind of naturally occurring sources of, of vitamin D that we can get from a diet. Um, fatty fishes are um, one of those particular areas, um, as well as um, mushrooms, which is often not really thought of. And it, and it does need to be mushrooms that have been exposed to UV light. And if you actually take a second and look at the package on the mushrooms, a lot of them will say grown under UV, those types of things that bumps up the vitamin D content um, there. Um, uh, there is some in things like beef, chicken. Um, the, the, vi- the vitamin D content of that often relates to the diet of the animal um, that was consuming uh, those products. Uh, and then eggs, but it is the yolk of the egg. So if you're, you know, if you've ditched the yolks for egg whites, which is completely appropriate, um, if you're, you know, working on fat reduction and cholesterol, then the, then the vitamin D is out there. Uh, and then we have. Um, sunlight, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show. And then we also have um, fortified foods, right? So the milk, like I mentioned, but it's important to note that um, while milk is fortified with vitamin D, a lot of times your cheeses and your ice creams are not. So sometimes we eat those foods and we'll be like, well, I'm getting my, you know, my calcium and vitamin D in, um, but those may not be um, fortified. So you got to flip that label over and take a look at it and read it to see. Um, orange juice is often fortified with um, vitamin D as well as um, infant formulas, some of the cereals that are out there, those kinds of things. So again, it's a a label reading process. Uh, And then um, you can get vitamin D, of course, through supplementation um, from um, an over-the-counter vitamin D supplement. And we'll talk a little bit about more about that, um, as well as um, sun exposure and some of those things that can limit vitamin D in just a minute. But we do have a caller on the line. So I want to go over to um, Ridgeland and talk with Diana. Good morning, Diana. How can I help you? Yes, ma'am. So I wanted to ask questions I mean, a question about magnesium. Okay. So what benefit, and is that a supplement that we should take, with, especially women, on a daily basis? And I'll hang up. You can just answer. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great one, um, and one that I see a lot. And so the 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 uh, big answer to that is the majority of people probably don't need to supplement most things if we have a well-balanced diet. Um, so sometimes uh, we'll see a, a low magnesium level um, at, that causes muscle cramps or twitching and those kinds of things, um, and that can be checked by a blood test. So before supplementing anything, we want to talk with our regular healthcare provider about if that is appropriate for our specific uh, disease condition that we may have um, or whether we need it. Sometimes when we have folks with renal or kidney issues, we may have to um, supplement magnesium, those different types of things. Um, Sometimes you'll also see migraines um, treated with magnesium um, supplement. But again, just like everybody in general taking it, we probably don't need to do that, um, especially without talking with kind of your regular healthcare provider about um, how much you would need, how frequent you would need, or whether you need it at 
all. But that was a great question. Thank you for uh, calling me today. And you know, I mentioned that we probably don't, the average person probably doesn't need that as long as we have a well-balanced diet. And so I feel like I should tell you where you get magnesium in your diet. Um, and that's... Uh, I mean, I feel like I, I say this all the time, but it's plants. So uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, those types of things are um, rich in uh, magnesium. And so, again, when we consume a balanced diet where we make sure we have fruits and vegetables and whole grains and nuts and seeds and things um, in our daily intake, a lot of these micronutrient um, are, are provided in that particular way. Um, so uh, you can absolutely take too much magnesium supplementation and start to have things like um, nausea, vomiting, weakness, fatigue, those kinds of things. So regardless of what supplement you're considering, please, please, please always speak with your healthcare provider um, prior to adding that to make sure that it's not going to interact with any of the other medicines that you take or um, cause any um, ill-advised side effects from those types of things. All right, we were talking about vitamin D. And I want to make sure that we touch on calcium uh, as well because uh, they do go together. Vitamin D helps you absorb calcium from um, your gut uh, so that it is then available to help with bone remodeling. And when I say bone remodeling, our bones uh, are constantly breaking down and being built, right? It's not where um, you get a set of bones and they just stay the same for your whole life. If, right now, there are little parts of my bones that are being um, broken broken down and being rebuilt um, to keep them in optimal shape and conditioning. And we have to have the minerals needed on board to be able to keep those nice and strong. And calcium is one of those things. Um, in terms of sun exposure, um, you know, in general, we don't recommend people just go outside uh, without sunscreen on and expose large parts of their body to extended periods of sunshine. Um, the amount uh, of sunshine that's needed for vitamin D uh, synthesis is not as much as we would think. And we tend to not cover our entire bodies with uh, sunscreen, nor do we reapply them as we should. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, but being outside does tend to help with a little bit of vitamin D synthesis. Um, of note, the it's the UVB rays that help with vitamin D synthesis, and those do not penetrate glass. So if you are, you know, getting your sunshine from sitting in um, a car or you know your uh, maybe your office window those types of things uh, it's not going to get your vitamin d synthesis there um, with calcium um, again think about um, where that lives uh, in terms of naturally occurring so it is in dairy-based foods um, it is in fortified foods like orange juice um, and then it is in plant foods we tend to not think about it as much but it is there um, things like um, soybeans so edamame tofu that has calcium in it if those um, gross you out or you're like absolutely not I'm not eating any tofu that's okay too things like almonds um, broccoli, green leafy vegetables, all of those have calcium on board as well. Now, when we're talking about calcium, it's also important that we talk about something called bioavailability. And so just because a food has a certain amount of calcium in it doesn't mean our bodies are able to extract that same amount of calcium for use. Even our dairy-based foods, only about 30% of the calcium in those are we, is bioavailable for us to use or be able to be absorbed. Um, 
uh, greens, like in particular bok choy is one of the really popular popular ones, um, it's about 50% bioavailable. So while it has a lower calcium content than a dairy food does, when it actually comes down into how much is available for use by our bodies, they're pretty comparable. Um, where we do have to um, be a little bit more careful are your high oxalate containing foods like spinach okay um, that oxalate blocks the calcium absorption now that does not mean that we should not eat spinach there are lots of other good nutrients in that spinach but i wouldn't necessarily count it as a source of my calcium intake especially if i'm a completely plant-based eater um, and not consuming any type of dairy products then i would want to focus on some other calcium sources um, in my diet So in the last few minutes, I want to briefly touch on um, a headline that you have probably seen um, that says daily multivitamins may help prevent dementia. It's been everywhere in the news. And you know, my stance is usually that we probably don't need a supplement unless we have a deficiency. But this particular um, um, article is out in... um, The uh, Alzheimer's and Dementia, which is the journal of the um, Alzheimer's Association, and it actually was a fairly large trial. You know, we've always talked about the level of data that we're looking at and that trials um, have higher degree of data. And it actually looked at a um, cocoa supplement, right, because cocoa has a high amount of flavonoids, which are um, an antioxidant in them, versus a multivitamin versus nothing. Oh, and it was actually the cocoa versus nothing and the vitamin versus nothing, not cocoa to vitamin head to head. Um, And it did show that the multivitamin had a significant reduction in um, kind of dementia symptoms. So what we don't know about that is which vitamin it was or whether it is uh, like a combination of certain vitamins together. Um, So all that to say, multivitamins in general are very low risk medication. Again, always speak to your healthcare provider before you start any kind of supplement. But adding a multivitamin might be Uh, might be worth it in terms of cognitive function. Now, how do you pick one? That's what I want us to close with is how you pick a quality supplement, a quality multivitamin, if that is what you're choosing to do. Because remember that vitamins and supplements are not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. Um, So whatever is in that bottle, it may not be what's in that bottle unless there's some extra testing and certification done on that particular product. And so my favorite way to ensure that what I am getting um, is what it says it is, is by looking for the USP verified seal. It is down on the, usually on the bottom label, and it'll say USP verified. And that is a kind of an, an optional quality control thing that people, that companies can submit their supplements to. That So it says whatever I say is in the bottle is actually what's in there at the potency that they say is in there. Um, Another good place is to look at consumer um, reports. They usually have um, the best brands listed there with the most quality control added to them. So it's just something to think about as you're choosing a supplement. All right, guys, we are all out of time for today. You have um, given me lots of great things to think about and to research as we continue our discussion about how to maximize our dietary choices. If you didn't catch the show today, remember you can go 
to wherever you get podcasts and search for Southern Remedy and you'll have the full Southern Remedy lineup. You can also listen every weekday at 11 to all of our Southern Remedy shows. Remember that at any time, if you have a question or a comment that you didn't get in today, you can email that to me fit at mpbonline.org. I love to communicate with you that way. You've been listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.